today's scripture reading will be taken from the book of Mark. Uh, Mark, uh, the first chapter, verses 32 through 38. And if you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that in, on pages 882 and 883. Again, that's Mark, first chapter, verses 32 through 38. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before the daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Good morning to each of you, and on behalf of your missions committee, I'm here to welcome you to this Missions Emphasis Day and to introduce you to our fine guest, my friend and brother, Nick Fowler. Before I do that, I'd like to encourage you each to uh, spend a moment and pay attention to the, uh, the various displays that you'll find in the foyer. Uh, our mission works there are illustrated, I think, very well. And there's good information there about what we do in the various parts of the world where we're reaching out. And um, there's been some time and preparation spent on that, so those will be, those will be available to you to look at and to uh, examine over the course of this coming week. Most of you, I hope, already know Nick and Amy Fowler. Our congregational ties with them are very strong. Amy grew up here among us, and Nick has been a part of this family for a number of years. They married in 2003, I believe, and part of that marriage covenant was to decide to go together into the mission field. I was looking at my records last night, and I, I have documents and various fundraising brochures and things dated from 2005. And I suspect that there were plans in place well before that even. It's a hard thing to go to the mission field, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of commitment. It has taken years for Nick and Amy to get to the point that they're at now, and Mount Juliet is fully behind them. Since 2008, this has been their sponsoring congregation, and our elders and missions committee uh, oversee this work and encourage this work, along with you hand-in-hand in supporting this work. Nick and Amy and their son Jonah have been in the field now for these past 18 months. And they're about to, uh, just now, they're, they're finishing their first furlough. They've been here among us now for a couple of months, but they are soon to return. They leave February 1 for uh, their return to Belém. Uh, this evening, the missions committee is hosting a farewell devotional for them to honor their presence and their work, and I extend to you an invitation to participate in that. Uh, there's nothing for you to prepare or bring, uh, just your attendance. 
Uh, and that, that devotional will happen in the fellowship hall this evening following evening services. This is a very good and important day. And Nick is my personal friend and brother. And my heart goes out to you and the work that you've done. And on behalf of the missions committee, we thank you for that. And we look forward to our coming years of support and work together. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Fowler. Good morning, Mount Juliet. I hope you know how blessed you are uh, to be here this morning with with all these people who sing together as Philip leads us. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the hill called Mount Calvary. And I look around this room and walk through the lobby and... Every time I come to Mount Juliet, I see that in us here. I know that we believe. I know that this room is filled with, with God's love reflecting out of your hearts. Some of the biggest hearts are Doug and Sharon Perry. Thank you, Doug, for all of your support and, and kindness. Um, I was going to say some things about what Missions Emphasis Day is and encourage you to look at the booths that's been done. I will remind you of this. Today's the day to bring in items for the Agape Baby Shower. Okay, for the Agape Baby Shower. So bring, bring those items in on your way home today, this morning. Go ahead and stop by the store, get some more things. On your way back tonight, stop by the store if you need to and put them out here at the cradle. And those, uh, those items are going to go to Agape and the ministries there, uh, baby items that are needed for that. Real quick, I don't know how many of you know really how far Mount Juliet reaches into the world with the gospel. So real quick, I wanted to touch on some of the biggest places uh, that we work, some of the bigger works. So we're, we're going to start off right here at home in the United States of America. Mount Juliet works so hard to take the gospel to its people here. And usually when we talk about missions, what we want to talk, what we usually mean by that is evangelism, but evangelism away from home. Evangelism uh, beyond our normal day-to-day life. And that happens right here in the United States as well. It doesn't just mean foreign. Mount Juliet every year... Does a, does a mission trip right here in the United States. Usually it's within a day, two days drive from home. And uh, what, what they like to do is find a, a place here in the south or southeast or, or somewhere close by where the church is weak or non-existent. And then we'll go down there for a week or five days and campaign and canvas that place and do everything we can to bring the gospel there and help Help, the, help a small startup church get going or help a, a place that's struggling. Another thing that we do in the United States is we work through Heritage Christian University, which puts out preachers and missionaries every year, hundreds of them, and is enabling people all over this country uh, to be able to spread the good news of Jesus. 
Um, next on our list is El Salvador. You may know El Salvador is the, the, probably one of the most popular mission works here at, here at Mount Juliet because everybody can be part of it. Every year we take that campaign down to El Salvador and you can go. It's usually a medical mission campaign. There's jobs for everybody to do. And this is a great place where Mount Juliet members can have ownership and real participation in taking the gospel to this country. We work with uh, two or three small congregations here and preachers, helping them um, reach out to, to their country. And also Phil Wagner working in El Salvador and Honduras now. And he is uh, from Mount Juliet here as well. The next thing is South Sudan. South Sudan. Mount Juliet, you may not know this, but you are one of the biggest, most prominent, and first mission works in the world's newest country. And it's not an easy place to work. It is a a very difficult place, uh, fraught with turmoil. And, And yet Don Humphrey and his leadership and all the people working with him have built a school and are still going to be continuing to build that to enable people to go out in that country and make disciples and plant churches. It's wonderful. It's wonderful when you think about the Sudan Project. I encourage you to visit that booth today and look at those things. I talk about Ukraine and Europe. Ukraine, where we're nurturing a young preacher and, and young congregations, where each year this congregation helps do VBS for children in children's homes. And recently, this last year, took part in a gospel meeting, the first gospel meeting there. And um, then we have Greece, where this congregation is promoting probably the most multicultural mission work that there is. Athens is home to every possible culture that you can imagine. So much so that the churches there are required to do several different languages for their services. So they have different ones each day. And then we have Brazil. And that's where, where I'm involved at, working in Brazil. North Brazil is almost void of the church. It is almost non-existent there. And so we're starting at a place with a ground zero to try to bring the gospel to the millions of people in North Brazil. And then in Guinea, in West Africa, where Brad and Estelle Willits are, have been working for years doing major works in translation, getting the gospel available to people. And not only that, but you've got the program you'll hear more about tonight, Milk for Babies, and then also um, the church maturation and disciple making that goes on. And I, I saw a picture out here on the board. I, you need to go see this. When they sit in church, they roll out like a... a two-centimeter mat of straw, and that's where they sit when they meet in church. And I just thought, that is incredible. That is incredible. And so you, Mount Juliet, are involved in all these things, and I know you're, you're sitting there thinking, but really, what's it got to do with me? Some of you may be thinking that. For a long period of my life, I thought that too. What does this have to do with me? As a missions committee... Uh, we sat down a few weeks ago and talked about this day and this message. And we asked ourselves, what message do we want Mount Juliet to hear this day? What do we want you to know about missions? And this is what we walked away with. We wanted everybody here to know that you need to contribute in some way, in some fashion to the mission of God. 
we've got to own it. It has to become part of us because it is important for us to do. And I think about myself, and sometimes there's this disconnect between God's mission, His mission, and and my mission. And that's sad to say, and it's hard for me to realize and even voice to the congregation, but sometimes there is this disconnect. We've got His mission over here, which is, you know, sending the gospel to the world, and then we have my mission in it's not always sending the gospel to the world. Sometimes my mission is, is doing uh, what I like to do most. It's centered around me. Sometimes it can be spending too much time watching movies or reading books. Sometimes I, I could, it could be uh, exercising too much. That's not for me, but just for other people. It could be... Um, taking care of our house, our yard. It could be our job and and everything that we put into that. And then I've noticed this temptation in my life. It could be our children. It could be our children, our family. Whatever is making us feel good about ourselves. And when those things don't line up with God's mission, when when my mission day-to-day doesn't line up with God's mission overall, we're missing something there. There's a disconnect. You know, there are times in my life, I can remember when I was a, a young man and a teenager, there were times in my life when uh, this, this, connection, this disconnect was incredible. There were times when um, PlayStation was the center of my life. When dating was the center of my life. And you know, it was during that, that time when I was dating Amy, who grew up in this church and ended up getting married, I had made her the center of my life. And one day, in, in September of 2000, she and I were sitting in a series of lectures by missionaries. And that was the day that God got me. Because we were sitting there together, and I finally realized that his mission had to become mine. They had to get together. And I kind of took it to an extreme and said, okay, well, I'm just going to go be a missionary. We're not all going to do that. But I think we all need to have that moment, right? We all need to have that moment where his mission and my mission get together. Am I the only one who gets distracted or has trouble waking up to God's mission? Am I the only one in this camp that sometimes finds themselves with their mission in life is is really what... What makes them happy? I hope not. I'd be pretty lonely. We don't do that as a congregation. Mount Juliet Church of Christ doesn't. As a congregation, we've matured in this area already. You may remember the article that came out in the Christian Chronicle about this congregation a couple weeks ago. The article spotlighted this church and it praised the transition from self-service, that is a church that is inward-serving, It serves itself, and mainly that's all it does, to servicing others. And that's what Mount Jude has done. And it has become a church that services the community that it lives in and the world that it's in. And, you know, you can see what happened when Mount Jude started doing that. They doubled in size. They tripled in size. Growth will happen here when we're serving and, and in line with God's mission. 
But have we made that transition in our families? Have we made that transition in our individual lives, in our hearts, and in our minds? That's where it's difficult to go. That's where it's difficult to really move from my mission to God's mission and make His mission my mission. That's what we want you to to know today is that in order for us to be successful in the war against sin and Satan, we've all got to work together. Think about World War I and World War II and what this country did to make us successful in that war. Everybody did their part. You had guys on the front line that were working together to do their part, and then you had the people back home that were working together to keep things in line and support those guys who were out fighting in that war. And that's what we have to do, church, as a family against Satan, is we have to pull together and find a way to make his mission my mission so that we're all on the same page. And can you imagine what would happen when we are all on that page? Can you imagine the force that we would be in this world? The truth is we are at war. We are at war. It's not peacetime with Satan. He hasn't let us get to that point. It does not stop. So what happens if we ignore it? What happens if we just decide, I'm not going to have any part of that? What happens when we finally complete the task of isolating ourselves and our little bubbles of self-gratification, coming out only for air or groceries or worship service? When, when we did when we doing that, we've lost. When his mission fails to become my mission, the mission doesn't get done. And I know that we don't want that, do we? We don't want that at all. The good news is, we weren't the first people to really struggle with this. I think everybody from the beginning on down has had to make a decision had to make the right choices. We've had to carry this burden. Can you imagine that maybe even Jesus might have struggled just like you and me with this? Let's take a look at how he handled God's mission. First off, I want to mention Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and and verse 49. You'll remember what happens here is uh, Jesus is 12 years old. His parents took him to the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem. This is a big trip. You know, when I was 12 and we traveled several days somewhere to Myrtle Beach or something, that was a big trip. And so here's Jesus, he's 12, and he's on a big trip with his family to Jerusalem. And and the whole family's there, and it's kind of a a big extended family vacation that they've gone to, to go to this feast together. And then the family leaves, and they go a day's journey. And they find out Jesus isn't with them. And parents, oh, they get upset. It takes them three days to find Jesus. And they find him in the temple, listening to the elders. And then they they confront him here, Luke 2, 48. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, verse 49, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Another translation says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? It's the same thing. I like to to see this, that Jesus at age 12 
was making the Father's mission his own. At age 12, he said, I'm going to be about my Father's business. Now, what if he understood it at 12 and then let it go? Maybe got distracted, found out he wanted to do something else, maybe wanted to race chariots or something, and and he just decided, okay, I'm not going to do the whole mission thing anymore. Where would we be today if Jesus had, had lost track, had been distracted, had allowed there to become a disconnect between the Father's mission and His? Where would we be today if the twelve had decided to fall down on, on their part and not pick up uh, what was left after Jesus' death and be about the mission again? Jesus understood early that his father's business was his. But we need to ask an important question right here. What is God's business? What is his mission? When we talk about his mission, what is that? We, we, we mentioned earlier, and we will again later, about mission work and our idea of that word. But really, here's what I think God's mission is. I think God's mission is redeeming his people. That's it. Redeeming his people, winning them back. You know, God fights for his family, his children. He loves us. And he'll do anything for us, including give himself. The mission is restoration, restoring us back to him. The mission is reconciliation. The mission is perfecting the imperfect. The mission is life-giving. The mission is transformation. When these things are happening, I think the mission of God is happening. And all those things need to be happening. I want you to see in the scripture that was read this morning, Mark chapter 1, we're going to go there now. I want you to see that Jesus had times in his life when he had to make some difficult choices between the good things and the right things. And I think as a church, we could get distracted with good things and miss out on doing right things. Let's look at this thing. Now, the scripture reading picked up at verse 32. Let me give you some context for that. Okay, Jesus was at Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law had been sick with a high fever. Jesus came in and touched her, and, and her fever left. She was healed, and she got up and started serving everybody in the house. And then we picked up with what happened after that. That began a chain reaction. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, this is a big job. Can you imagine? And Jesus is maybe thinking to himself, what have I done? Now my whole night's ruined. I've got people lined up forever. This is going to take hours to heal. It says later, when Jesus meets people like this, he has compassion. It breaks his heart. He has mercy on them. And so he starts doing these things that he knows are good. Is he powerful enough to cast out demons? Yes. Is he powerful enough to heal our infirmities? Yes. And so when he can, he wants to do that. And he starts doing that. But then look what happens. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, verse 36, Mark 1, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone's looking for you. Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. Why'd you leave? The multitudes are there. It's your time to be the Messiah and heal people and cast out demons and all that great, wonderful, miraculous stuff that you do. Then Jesus says something I think is maybe strange for us to hear. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. What did he say and what message did he send to the disciples that night. He said, those things are good, but they're getting in the way. I'm here to preach. That's what we need to go do. We've got to go on to the next towns. He's, he's making a choice here between something that is, for us, hard to believe that it's not the most good. Okay? He's making a choice between good and great between good and right, between good and what is the main thing. I want you to see here in this next story, right here, Jesus cleanses a leper, verse 40 through 45. Leper comes to him and says, if you, if you will, make me clean. Jesus is moved with pity and says, I will, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. But Jesus told him to do something here. He says, don't tell anyone. You go show yourself to the priest and do what you have to do there, but don't tell anyone. Don't say anything to anyone. Verse 45, this guy disobeyed Jesus. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Now, did you hear that? Did you hear what happened? This guy went and told about the miracle, and what happened? It prevented Jesus from going into the towns. Now, you remember what Jesus had said earlier? What he told his disciples? Let's go on to the next town so I can preach the gospel. Now he can't go to the towns. Because why? Because the good thing got in the way of it. And now he's, he's stuck being out in desolate places. And we're going to hear stories about people coming to him at the sea and on the mountainside because Jesus can't go in towns anymore. It's a struggle, a constant struggle between the good things and the right things. And thankfully, Jesus understood that and chose right to the point where when he was in the garden on the night, before, uh, the night of his arrest, he sat down and kneeled down in that garden and he prayed to his father, what's about to happen, I don't want to happen. If, if there's any way, can we let this pass from me? And then he said, but not what I want, what you want. And then he comes back again and he leaves out that stuff about letting the cup pass from me. And this time he just says, not what I want, but what you want. And Jesus that night in prayer was choosing again to make the Father's mission his mission. We have to make that choice as well. Jesus got it. His apostles got it. And for centuries, the war has been going on, and people 
have been giving themselves to the mission of God. We have to be honest with ourselves and ask if we are making the right choices the way Jesus did. Each one of us has a hard choice to make. We've got to choose the right things over the good things. We have to own the mission. It has to become part of us, and we've got to stay focused on it. I was sitting across the table from Jason Tucker a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about missions. And he made this statement. He said, there are a lot of good things out there, but this is a must. This has to happen. Do you think Jason understands? When I heard that, it just cut me to the heart. He's, he owned it and said, this has got to happen. We don't have any other choice. We must make the mission happen. I think he understands. I think we've got to get to the point that Jesus did where we don't see a line between God and us anymore. The essence of missions is really the crucifixion of ourselves, of the old man. He's gone. He is dead. And now I do what God needs me to do. So what is it? that God needs me to do. My challenge to you today, take this home with you. His mission, my mission. Make his mission, my mission. In some way. Now, for the next minute, I want to talk about our foreign missions and what you can do to help in that area. Try to pick one or two and say, yeah, this year, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, here are several things that you can be thinking about in the context of sending the gospel out into the world. I've got a whole list. I'm just going to mention several of them. Be a missionary. Be a missionary. That's the most easy one I could think of. There's a couple that came up to me in December that's members of this church, and they said, we're thinking about doing what you're doing. I said, that's awesome. That's great. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And so I encourage you to stick with it. Raise a missionary. If you're parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunts, raise a missionary. Encourage them. Send a missionary. You can do it financially. There are all kinds of ways you can, you can partner with a, a missionary financially. Go on a short-term mission trip. Serve on the missions committee. Study missions. Now, I'm just going to read several on the list here. Financially support a missionary. Pray for a missionary. Send emails to missionaries. Start a business where all profits go to missions. Send a care package to a missionary. Listen to missionaries. When they come home, it's the biggest thing they need. It's just to be heard, just to be interested in. And I remember J.B. and Bethany talking to us over there in the corner a few weeks ago, and they never said one thing about themselves the whole time and asked questions about Amy and I and our work. That was so encouraging. It was so encouraging to have that happen. Find ways to use your skills to benefit the mission. People who are drilling are now drilling wells in Africa and other places. Curate a missions blog. Visit a missionary. Attend a missions conference. Be a friend to a missionary. They need that. You know, Jason Haley sent me a picture of a fish that he caught and just said, thinking of you. And I've carried that with me for over a year now. 
Because I thought, well, Jason's thinking about me. And I've got a friend there. It's, it's so important to be a friend. Have your children do things for the children of missionaries and vice versa. Invite your missionary to your fantasy league. Form a mission support team where you adopt a missionary and do things for him. Form a prayer group. There's a prayer group that meets for Brazil every week. Upstairs in one of the classrooms, they pray for about 10 minutes every week. We've got several other mission works here. Wouldn't it be neat if there were six or seven classrooms full of people doing that? Create a missions bulletin board. Visit and befriend the missionary's family. A lot of people want to come to Brazil, and they say, I want to come and, and, and do something for the mission there. And as a missionary, I want to say the, the greatest thing that you can do is just go visit and be a friend. It is, it is so wonderful. You know, we've got uh, one of the members here, Connie, is coming to see us in March, and we're so excited about her coming to visit. Donate air miles. There's one guy in Lubbock, Texas, that donates all his air miles to missionaries so that they can fly uh, when they need to. Send out newsletters, print newsletters, handle accounting, offer tax services, insurance services, investing services, or account. Uh, take them out to eat. Send their family to see them. Help them continue their education. Make a video. Make an audio recording. Send cards or letters. Add them to your Skype contacts and call them. Give to them spiritually. Give to their marriage. And give to their mental health. The ways that you can contribute to missions are endless. Your creativity is the only limit that we have. So I encourage you to, to find some way this year that you're going to make his mission your mission and do one of these things. The resources for God's missions are not limited. The X factor in the question isn't God, it isn't money, it's us, it's people. When we decide to do our part, the mission will victoriously march on. You remember I mentioned before that the missions committee worked together to present the message to you today? Well, someone during that meeting, I think it was Mark Rinks, he said this, it's on the screen, can you imagine the difference it would make if every member, 100% of this congregation, were doing something to contribute to God's mission? I was blown away by that. I thought, wow, can you imagine the potential here? What would it look like? Personally, I think it would look like a lighthouse coming from this building. You know, when we turn the corner about a mile up that road or a mile this road, Jonah says, I see the Mount Juliet Church building. Well, I'm not talking about just the building. I mean the congregation. When we did this, if we were 100% involved, 100% ownership, it would be seen from all over the world. It would be a city set on a hill, a refuge for the weary, a guide to the lost, a glimmer of hope in the darkness. I think children would grow up knowing what was important to their parents when they see the sacrifices they made for the mission of God. I think more young adults are going to make the decision to be missionaries and their parents will applaud them. I think the mission's budget will grow in order to send them. I think making his mission... My mission will give me a sense of purpose in my life, in my job, 
with my spare time, in my conversations, in my prayers. When we are on mission, and the mission is God's, and we own that and have made it ours too, Mount Juliet, we're going to be having some fun. When we get to that point, it's just going to be fun and exciting. And we're going to be glad to be part of it. And we're going to be looking for new fields to send missionaries to and filling up more classrooms with prayer groups. We'll be making a difference. And Mount Juliet, you are. If there is too great of a disconnect between you and God, you can't be on mission. We can't give what we don't have. If we haven't been redeemed, reconciled, forgiven, made perfect, we're not going to be able to help others. Now, Juliet, I really hope that all of us end the mission well. And that we all arrive together in that beautiful award that we have waiting for us. If you need to respond in any way this morning, if you need to, to, to be baptized for the remission of your sins, or have prayers from the church, or if you want some help in making his mission your mission, please come as we stand and sing.